To Swift Unwrapped, a podcast about the Swift programming language and other projects at Swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Samard. Today, before we kick it off, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Sentry.io. Uh, Sentry has some breaking news for you. Uh, all code is broken, it turns out. Uh, but it's okay because we can fix it together with Sentry. If you rely on your customers to report errors and you're basically treating them like an offsite QA team, that's not good. It's rude to your customers and it's bad for business. And ideally, you'd solve this with tests. Just write every scenario with a test. Then life would be perfect and fine and great, but here in reality, programmers are pretty bad at writing tests. Uh, It's not just because we're all kind of lazy, but because we can't anticipate every single way users are going to interact with the product. And you don't have infinite time to cover infinite possibilities. So this is why Sentry tells you about the errors in your code before your customers has a chance to encounter them. Not only do they tell you about them, but they also give you details that you need to know to be able to fix them. You see exactly how many users have been impacted by a bug, the stack trace, the commit that the error was released as part of, uh, even who authored that line of code, and a lot more. Uh, you can check them out at sentry.io slash four slash swift. Um, so once again, that's sentry.io slash four slash swift. Uh, once again, thank you to Sentry for sponsoring this episode. All right. So today we're going to talk about this uh, key path expressions as functions proposal uh, from Stephen Sellis and Greg Titus. It's been discussed multiple times Um in the past, I think even back on the, the mailing lists. And um, yeah, it's finally awaiting review. What's the deal here, JP? Well, so let's start off by kind of explaining what key paths are, because uh, not everyone um, who's programming Swift might have necessarily interacted with them. Yeah, it's definitely a more advanced, more advanced uh, feature, for sure. Mm-hmm. So h- how would you describe them? Yeah, I actually don't know of a good way to describe. I know what they are, but I feel like it's very hard to describe, actually. Yeah. And I don't use them that often, though, right. I, though I feel like I should be. Uh, it's like... Well, this proposal will actually give you more reasons to use them. That's true. Yeah. So so key paths are a type-safe way to refer to um, the the structure of code. Um, so say you want to refer to um, the the property or or any sort of member of a type uh, without having an instance, um, that's where you'd use a key path. If you've, used, if you've programmed with Objective-C before or against Apple's iOS or, or Mac OS or Apple platform APIs, you've probably used uh, the pound selector syntax when you're using uh, a target action um, pattern where you need to specify what should be invoked or what should be read out of an object without you actually having one of those instances to start off with, right? And there's even a, a KVO API that I think it was introduced in, in Swift 4, uh, maybe it was Swift 3.2, um, that, uh, that allows you to refer to properties in the abstract of a type like that in a type-safe way. So the syntax 
which is usually what, what gives away that you're using a key path is um, a forward slash uh, followed by a by either the type name dot property name or just dot property name when the type can be inferred. Yeah, that's right. So it's kind of like uh, a better version of Objective C selectors, sort of. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a type safe uh, way to to refer to member accesses like Objective C selectors. Yeah. So this is really really powerful. Like today, if you wanted to use uh, key value observing to observe, um, say the uh, the is enabled boolean property of like a button. Mm-hmm. You could use key value observation to know when that when that's changed. Um, so you'd pass a key path so that you know that the result the resulting closure that you get is going to operate on that boolean. So you know exactly what kind of object you're going to get back, and it's it makes it impossible for you to kind of assume that it's the wrong type. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it offers some, some really powerful things like that. Um, and this proposal offers uh, more ways in which you can use key paths. Yeah, it's sort of um, really feels like mostly just kind of syntactic sugar uh, to like simplify some common use cases. Um, we're not necessarily making key paths functions always um, only in like certain contexts will they be uh, sort of I don't know what the right word is interpreted as functions like if when passed to map for example yeah I think the word promoted is used yes promoted that's what I was looking for Um, yeah so if you normally so let's say you have a key path you have like slash uh, root dot value um, this proposal suggests using that in in places where the function uh, that accepts a root and returns a value uh, are allowed. Um, so, like usually, if you have um, let's say you have like an array of users, users have like a, an email address, and you want to say users map, and then dollar sign zero dot email so you map that array of users into an array of user emails instead uh, you can now just pass that key path directly so it'd be users dot map and then in parentheses you'd have uh, your backslash then dot email so much simpler kind of cleaner way to to do that and without having to use the trailing closures Right, without having to to create a closure that just takes that value and returns um, yeah. the, the key path member. Right. And you can do this in an ad hoc way today by providing overloads to your functions that do take, like say you, say you have functions that take closures or, or other functions as parameters in your own code base today. Um, you can provide an overload of that function that takes a key path instead and invoke. Um, so given a, given any key path, you can actually apply it to an instance and get the value out of that key path again by using the subscript uh, 
operation. Um, so you'd have your object, square bracket, key path, colon, right? Similar to um, any other subscript, op subscript operation in Swift, and then you pass the key path. So it's it, one functional programming way to, to define a key path is actually a lens where given an instance, you can get a value back, back out, right? So you kind of apply that lens to an instance and you get a value out. Um, so these are things that you can do today, but you don't get language support for it. You have to write these overloads one by one, um, which hurts discoverability, but it also hurts adoption, mm -hmm. right? Where you have to go out of your way to duplicate a function to provide this, this uh, syntactic sugar. So a lot of people just won't do it. Right. You know, I forgot about the whole key path um, aspect of uh, like accessing the subscript functionality of key paths, which I think was added later, right? Like key paths were introduced in a proposal that was accepted and implemented, and then later subscripts for key paths were added. Is that right? Um, that's possible. My history here is a little fuzzy, but yeah. I don't see why that would have happened yeah. because I, I hesitate to th come up with a scenario in which key paths are useful without the ability to get a value out of a type with it. Maybe it was just used for KVO. Mm -hmm. um, we, we'd, we'd have to look it up to, to remember exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, the subscripting for key paths seems makes it more useful in my opinion. Yeah, so key paths, um, key paths were introduced in Swift 4 um, for a better KVO API. Uh, this was actually a proposal to, to come out of um, uh, a few people who were working on foundation at Apple. Uh, it's SC161. Um, the proposal is called Smart Key Paths, Better Key Value Coding for Swift. And um, and so this introduced the the actual syntax using the uh, the forward slash. Um, is is it a forward slash or a backslash? Backslash. Yeah. That's a backslash. My goodness, I I always get confused which is which. <laughs> um, to uh, to refer to uh, to a key path literal. Before that, you could actually use a key path using the pound key path. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, uh, what was that called? Uh, built in. Mm -hmm. Um, but you couldn't actually refer to it with, uh, with the same, with this kind of literal syntax. Um, but I don't know if the getters were introduced. Uh, it seems like, yeah, you could actually use the getters, the subscript getters at that time. Hmm. Okay. Do you use key paths often? No. Um, they are useful in in the rare cases that I do need to use KVO. Yeah. Um, which is less and less common. Right. Actually, we've we've come up with kind of other alternatives to to replace KVO in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I can't really think of. A case where I've used key paths extensively, actually. Uh, I had some ideas for 
interacting with core data and like having using some key paths for that. Mm-hmm. I never actually acted on that though and implemented anything. Um, but I think that might be one useful scenario, at least within the Apple platform. Yeah, there's this um, fantastic, uh, almost proof of concept library from uh, an old coworker of mine from Realm. Um, his name's Kishikawa Katsumi called Query with a K, K-U-E-R-Y, which is um, a type safe key path um, kind of DSL yeah, uh, for, nice. for producing NS predicates. Okay. Um, oh, that's cool. Which is extremely cool, absolutely. It means that you can do something like, um, you know, create uh, a type safe filter where you can only compare a string property with a string. Uh, or an integer property with an integer. Right. You know, you can't accidentally um, compare uh, a, a Boolean to a string. Right. Which would have produced kind of a runtime exception when creating an NS predicate yeah. in the past, where maybe it would be like promoted or, or interpreted in a way that might have su- subtle edge cases, yeah. right? Like if it's implicitly converting a Boolean to a string, then like it might work for some cases, but yeah. not all. Right. So, so this is really cool. Um, well, I'll add a link to this in the show notes. Uh, key paths are promising when it comes to this, but ultimately the reason why I called this a, um, a proof of concept library is that it, it requires um, some internal or, or private members or private implementation details of how key paths are exposed in the runtime. I see. In order to get a string representation that is then passed to the NS predicate initializer. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, stuff like this has kind of hurt its adoption because uh, it, it limits the ways in which uh, developers can creatively use them. Right. So, to recap, um, kind of the, the just the high level design. Um, uh, anywhere, th- any function that would take uh, a a type and return a value should accept uh, a key path of that type dot value. Uh, effectively, a key path that that matches that uh, function signature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like the most common use case here is going to be for things like map and filter, where if this proposal is accepted, you can just pass the key paths directly now to those functions. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. It's, uh, I think, a bit more readable, definitely a bit more concise, and would probably encourage people to use key paths more often. And now we'd like to take a brief moment to thank our second sponsor for this episode, uh, Instabug. Uh, if you want to ship quality apps faster and drive five-star re- and drive five-star reviews, uh, you should check out Instabug. Um, so your team probably has, you know, problems like there's not an easy way to collect feedback from testers and users, or you have inconsistent feedback. You have time wasted debugging and finding issues. You have negative reviews on the App Store and less engaged users. Um, and 
what you really need is a way for your users and beta testers to submit thorough feedback uh, from your app. And with Instabug, you can do this just by shaking your phone, uh, which will take a screenshot and allow um, users to send their feedback easily. Uh, your, you and your team will be able to debug uh, bugs quickly as Instabug captures all the logs up to the moment the bug appears. You can iterate faster as you'll be able to send in-app surveys to know and prioritize, and prioritize what features uh, to work on. It just takes a few lines of code uh, to install in your app and more than 20,000 companies including Lyft, eBay, and PayPal already rely on Instabug to iterate faster and enhance their app quality. Uh, Instabug also has a free plan for mobile developers. If you're interested, you can go to instabug.com swift. Thank you, Instabug. Yeah, so diving in now to uh, more of the detailed design of this. Um, effectively, the, the whole detailed design section tends to highlight the fact that uh, only KeyPath literals would work here. Um, one of the properties of, of KeyPaths yeah. is that you can store them and then invoke them in a getter uh, later on at a later time. So, like, you can imagine... Um, a uh, some control flow that sets a key path um, in both branches, right? So, like, say you're setting a key path to be in, to be invoked later, and depending on kind of a some sort of condition, you either set um, user dot first name or user dot full name, mm -hmm. right? And they both have the same signature that take a user and return a string, um, and then you can. Uh, get whichever key path based off of your uh, your control flow later on by using that subscript operator, subscript key path. Well, if you're storing a key path in, in a variable like that, you won't be able to uh, pass that key path um, to, to be implicitly promoted to a function like passing it to map or filter later on. It has to be used in the literal form at the call site. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think of this? Yeah, uh, I mean, it seems like there's no other way to really accommodate this because of type inference, right? So like if you just store a key path um, in a local variable, then type inference is gonna say, okay, this is a key path. Um, which is a distinct type from a function that receives the type and returns a value that you would pass to map, right? So um, I can see why that's an issue, right? And then the workaround, you know, in quotes, workaround for that would be when you declare um, that variable, if you specify the type as a function and set it equal to a, the key path, then it works out, right? Yeah. So it seems a, more of a uh, type inference issue where the compiler doesn't have enough information to know how this thing will be used later on. So like it, it only knows so much, right? And it has to define a type for this value, yeah. right? So seems reasonable to me. Yeah, the fact that you can... Um explicitly set the type 
like instead of storing a key path in our previous example of, of having two conditional branches, mm-hmm. if you store a function yeah. and just pass that key path literal in both branches of the conditional, that seems like a like a fine enough workaround. Yeah. Not workaround, but uh, alternative yeah. that, uh, you know, it should be fine. Right. Yeah, you can also write uh, your key path. So I have like key path as and then the function type after that. So using like the as casting, I guess. But in this case, I guess it's not really casting. It's more of like promotion. Yeah, it's it wouldn't be a dynamic cast. Yeah. In right. that case, it, it would just be um, kind of setting it, just like a type annotation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, the proposal does outline some future directions that um, that this could take uh, that might allow um, what we're describing as a as a limitation here, where if you set the key path, it'd be later um, invoked it as a function in its function form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one is to have um, a static equivalent of the at dynamic callable. Um, attribute, mm-hmm. which would just maybe be called callable, mm-hmm. that um, would would be used to annotate things that can be invoked on an instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so key paths could have this attribute, and then uh, and then that should allow um, promoting it to its function type or at least invoking it on an instance at a later time. Yeah. To be honest, I'm a little bit lost with this and like where you would use that. Yeah. Um, it, it would also be to callable, avoid. Also callable just sounds like a, it's like, isn't everything callable? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, values aren't callable. Well, right? sure. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. Like it's, it's a very generic term. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't see this as a strong need because, again, the, the limitation of not being able to invoke key paths directly uh, doesn't seem too problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one, if, if I try to think of like situations in which we might want to do that, like there might be a case for having um, kind of serialized and deserialized key paths. Say you wanted to like have cross process or um, like cross device communication, mm-hmm. and you wanted to send instead of sending a value over the wire, you wanted to send what key path operation mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to get out of something. Like say you had a server written in Swift and an application written in Swift, and they share kind of some core models in common. Yeah. And then the server wants to tell the client to like perform a filter operation by pass by like passing it a key path. Mm-hmm. Um, I could kind of see that. Uh, well, one, I, I think that system might have a lot of design challenges. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's assuming that those are solved um, or that they're they're reasonable in this situation, mm-hmm. uh, it could be valuable to allow like map to be past this deserialized key path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think there's there's some grander design uh, challenges involved in building systems like that mm-hmm. that 
should probably be solved or looked at holistically rather than just like trying to potentially handle that case here now like years before we necessarily have this yeah. kind of mechanism in place yeah yeah i agree although it is an interesting thought exercise to like build systems like that that would uh in a type safe way kind of share semantic operations yeah 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 um rather than just data mm-hmm there's something really promising about that, I think. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting to think about. Now, looking through the discussion thread in the proposal, did anything yeah. jump out at you? Uh, well, it seemed almost unanimously positive. Uh, there's actually not a huge thread of responses here. Um, but uh, I think everyone is very in favor of the proposal. Uh, which is not always the case with every proposal that has ever been proposed. So, uh, so that's good. Uh, yes, that the community seems pretty on board with this. Yeah, there does seem to be mostly universal support for this. Um, most of the uh, comments in there that don't just express their undying love for this uh, concept just. Um, consider ways in which it can be pushed further, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which would probably just be additive. Um, and from the uh, suggestions in the proposal thread that I've seen, um, ways to push this further have diminishing returns. Right. Yeah, also important to note that uh, this is a purely additive change, so no effect on source compatibility or ABI stability or API resilience. Um, so that is probably um, further indication that it, this will likely be accepted. Uh, it's pretty low impact in terms of those things. Yeah. 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 So kudos to um, Steven, Greg, and everyone else involved in uh in coming up with this because there does seem to be a certain amount of elegance uh, to the way that it's being proposed. Um, The work in progress kind of prototype implementation um, is just 99 (laughs) lines of code. Um, Yeah. uh, Pretty small. I don't know how much turns out none of that is tests, but that's really just uh, some fairly, uh, minimally invasive refactoring rather than kind of like large scale rethinking of how uh, everything works. So um, I I think that's very promising. Yeah, yeah. Greg has opened that PR, Greg Titus. And uh, I just noticed PRs are over 19,000 now. So I mean, this was from September, so right. PRs are actually... Are they in the 20,000s now yeah, or more? Yeah, they're, they're in the 22,000s. Wow. So, yeah. Over 22,000 PRs. That is insane to me. It's a lot. Yeah, and I think I have a lot of code review at work. <laughs> right. Yeah. It doesn't even scratch the surface. Yeah, currently, uh, as of uh, this recording, over 400 pull requests are open, so... Sounds like uh, Swift team has a lot of work to do. Yeah. And thankfully, only a fraction of those are trying to work out the access control level <laughs> problems. 
I'm kidding. We'll never talk about SE-192 ever again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'd like to thank our two sponsors for this episode once again, Sentry.io. Uh, you can check them out at Sentry.io slash four slash Swift and Instabug. You can find them at Instabug.com slash Swift. You can find the show uh, on Twitter at Swift underscore Unwrapped. You can find me at Jesse underscore Squires. You can find me at SimJP on Twitter. And if you enjoy the show, please do leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>